G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day, I'm Rowan Connolly. And I'm Mark Fine. This is Footyology, and we're here to wrap up a big round three. A round in which a couple of clubs seemed to be in trouble, started turning things around, a major hoodoo was broken, and one club highly fancy pre-season just might have started to arouse a few doubts about where they're at. How are you, Mark Fine? I'm, as a football watcher, fine. As a Saints fan, not so fine, but we'll get to that in due course. It was a weekend, I think, that might have redefined who the stars of the game are. Yes, I'll have a bit of buy-in on that. Uh, from a uh, parochial point of view, I'm as disappointed in my club, the Bomb Rays, as you are in yours. I thought... Uh, of, the, of the Aints or the Saints. Yes, left a lot to be desired against the Doggies today. Uh, big round started on Friday night, of course, with the traditional rivals, the no matter where they are on the ladder game between Carlton and Collingwood, and finished up just recently in Perth with West Coast v Geelong. We're going to wrap them all up, talk about the highlights and lowlights, and have a jolly good scream down the camera for a minute or so each in our world-famous rant-off. Let's get straight into it with the wraparound. Right then, we feature three games each week, then talk about the six left over. One of our feature games, and a really important game today, given one is a perennial power seem to be coming back, and the other is the reigning Premier, was, of course, Richmond v Hawthorne at the MCG. What do you make of it, Fawny? Well, first of all, both teams might not have been at their ripping best, but it is round three, and they look like top-end teams to me. I think Hawthorne still is on course for a finals berth, which means we could have one of the strangest anomalies in football that these two clubs have never met in a final, finally put to bed in 2018. We'll see whether that happens. It's still on course after today, despite Hawthorne being well held by the Tigers. I found it a strange game on a couple of fronts. One being, it, it's, it really looked like an early season game in that for those two particular sides there was a, a relative absence of pressure, I thought. There was so much open footy and the forward lines were both relatively open. So that was a bit unusual. The other thing, um, which is, again, more of a psychological adjustment, is that it was Richmond that proved the really efficient side going forward and Hawthorne, which couldn't take full toll of its opportunities. And they're not roles we expect those two sides to be playing historically. I agree entirely. The game was a little flat. And what was unusual is that Stars from both sides, and fluffed their lines a few times. Now, I find in, in big games, big crowds, 70,000, beautiful day, uh, heroics, individual heroics for some players are a cue uh, to start their own highlight reel. 
but Rioli just fluffed his lines Missed a couple, a couple of times. Of shots, yeah. Dustin Martin never quite got into that incredible tour de force that he can become. And over and over again, players were performing moderate feats rather than anything that will last in the memory for a long time. So the game didn't hit the heights, and stars from both teams never got going. I, I think another takeaway from it for the Hawks is that Tom Mitchell, you know, another huge possession game, easily their best player, certainly no knock on him. But to have uh, a profound influence on a game, he simply has to have support around him. And it didn't come, you know, like O'Meara, Shields, you know, they were sort of bit players, really. I mean, the, the the other Hawthorne best were, you know, McAvoy pretty decent. No, McAvoy was good. Smith on but, but wing. But you should be good against Richmond in the ruck because Nan Curvis is an undersized ruckman who really doesn't bother with the hitouts too much, and Grigg is their second ruckman. Yeah, but I, I think um, what I guess what I'm trying to say is Richmond's midfield as a group had it all over the Hawks because they were basically reliant on the one guy, and for them to. Yeah, you know, they're going to be a reasonable side, but for them to be, I think, a, a serious sort of finals participant, Amira needs to step up. I think Shields needs to step up. You know, guys like um, you know, Will Wankford, you know, what's he in the side for? You know, I know they've played him as a defensive forward, but uh, Tom Mitchell needs help. He can't do it all his own. I'd say this, that in the first two games of the season, game one, Tom Mitchell with that 54 possession game, so many of them were at the coalface. They really were very quick handballs from stoppages that opened up the game for Hawthorne. Game two, his possessions were more, had a more offensive edge. Yeah. A couple of important goals and a couple of telling, well, not more than a couple, a lot of inside 50s, uh, good, for, good work in an attacking sense. I felt against Richmond, it had a touch of the Gary Ablett's at Gold Coast about it. Cheapies. Give it to me, give it back to me, yeah. kick it to me, I'll kick it back to you if you give it back to me. There was a sense of um, almost halting the progress to garner the possession. Just quickly with the Tigers, gee, if you're in the market for a small forward, Punt Road's your destination, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Butler, Castagna, Rioli not even playing yet. Shy Bolton, I, I think, will be a gun. Jack Higgins Stephen comes Higgins. in today and had had some really good moments. And and this was born out of a dearth of small forwards about mm. four years ago. Yeah. So they went to obviously a couple of drafts with the idea that that needed to be resolved. You'd think they overspent, but what has turned out to be the case is that these small forwards are very they're, they're very active without the ball, and they actually also can fly in the air and make a contest. So who cares if they're short in centimetres because they do other things. What I really like about the Tigers this year, despite last week's loss, is that having discovered the secret formula last year, um, they look like a side that just wants to do that routinely now and it's becoming instinctive. And, you know, they were they were far from their best today, but still good enough to, to really have Hawthorne beaten most of the game. Great, great win for them, I thought. Of course, we also do a weekly audio podcast, which is a preview of the upcoming games. Available on Thursday mornings. And I did mention that Richmond, as disappointing as they were against Adelaide, and it was disappointing, have, until further notice, impeccable form at the MCG, mm. in all conditions, against all teams. So, yeah. at the MCG, Richmond are kings. I think it's about 14 out of 16, or something yeah. like that now. In all conditions, with, all, with everything on the line, or little on the line. Alright, let's move on to our second feature game, and it is the Battle of the Bridge, up in Sydney, slightly hackneyed title, but it's, it's proving to be a pretty good derby, and 
the game last night or Saturday night, as you'd expect, Fanny, pretty tough, pretty tight, pretty contested. Decided ultimately by the side that can make the best of their opportunities, and uh, the Swans really did that. Um, significant edge, I thought they gained in the ruck, and this is an emerging issue perhaps for the Giants. Rory Lobb isn't having that impact on the ruck. I think we thought he might. Uh, by the same token, Callum Sinclair, we're worried about how he'd go on his own because uh, Naismith out for the year, but Sinclair was fantastic for the Swans. You know, gets forward, he kicks goals. He rucked all, all night without too many problems. I thought he was fantastic. Lob, I was very dubious and remain dubious because of his um, build and at the moment because of his almost his um, physical frailty in the ruck. You're going to get banged into in the ruck. So he came off with a knee injury that looks serious, but it it is going to happen a lot to Rory that he's going to get clattered into and... I don't think he's got the physique for it, which leaves them with the conundrum. Patton went into the ruck. That was no good for them at all. And, of course, he went forward and kicked goals. So he's not the ruckman. Do they go with Dawson Simpson, the cast-off relic from Geelong? Or do they roll the dice with a youngster like Matthew Flynn? Well, the problem is that the needle doesn't tell you because... Both of them have enormous numbers there. It's, yeah. it's too easy. So if you go with Simpson, does Lobb get dropped or does he go back forward? Because one of their issues last year when they weren't going that well was they looked a bit cumbersome yeah. up forward. No, he um, he gets dropped. Mm. Okay. Another good thing for the Swans, and we just get used to them being a perennial you know, high ladder side, but um, I think there's an increasing spreading of the load going on there, particularly in the midfield. I thought the standouts for them um, in that game, Heaney or Sinclair in the ruck, Heaney particularly good. Callum Mills is having a, an increasing sort of impact further up the ground as All right, well. So let's stop the, let's stop the um, effusive praise and just stop the world spinning for a moment and say, is this fair? This is a team that's been in the finals in the last... Something like 18 years. They've missed it twice in about 20-odd years, yeah. yeah. Uh, they've got two premierships to show. Yeah. In other words, their time in a competition with a draft and a salary cap that is supposed to be a rotation of the spoils is very much top-end heavy. And that drop would have started happening, I think, without the luxury of a priority pick out of their academy. Now, Mills and Heaney are Sydney Swans players because of that structure. It's an elephant in the room that is... Well, it's not really an elephant in the room. Eddie, Eddie McGuire's been pretty vociferous okay. about it. Well, it's a bugbear for non-Sydney supporters, and for Sydney supporters, they hate being reminded of it. Yeah, I'm a bit the other way. I think they're an incredibly well-administered clubs uh, club yeah. um, that's continually made the right list decisions. And I reckon the Buddy thing, and we'll talk about this a bit later, but I think that's a good example. I mean, uh, everyone thinks, oh, nine years, you know, they're going to have to play funny buggers to sort of get around that. But right now, you'd, you'd be pretty confident he'd just about play the nine years. So. It, was a, it was a great move by Buddy because he was headed to GWS with Patton and Cameron, and mm. that would have been a very busy, crowded, clustered forward line for him. Yeah. He's enjoying being the star show. No, I thought he was terrific, and I thought the Swans just continued to be terrific. GWS, yeah, somewhere around the mark, but uh, yeah, it's not quite there yet for me. I'm almost at the point with these two clubs, I'll tip them when they're on their home ground against each other. 
Well, typically WS against Sydney. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, right. Okay. Sorry. It's been, over, a, long, it's been a long weekend. Over Spotless or Spotland or whatever it's called. Okay. Spotty. <laughs> well, Spotless this year. Spotty. Spotty Stadium. Yeah. Um, all right. Speaking of long weekend, let's go back to the start of uh, round three and the no matter where they are on the ladder clash between the Blues and Pies, 16th and 17th. Um, could be just about as low as either of them's been when they've played each other, I suspect. Uh, Collingwood finally got on the board. Um, pretty good effort by the Pies. I've got to be honest, it didn't strike me as being uh, a, a pretty good side, sort of starting to build a, a head of steam. They still looked, mm. they still looked so so to me. But the Blues were even more so so. You think the Pies looked all no, right? No, but look, I know it's a completely different world. But the next day. In the VFL, Collingwood defeated the Northern Blues 31 mm. goals to not That's too right. many. Yeah. And Elliott kicked five. Yeah. Fasolo kicked three. Yeah. Dugowie kicked four. Now, they are all potentially AFL forwards who can win games. Isn't that like your NEFL argument, though? That... A little, but yeah. we, know that we know that they can definitely star in the AFL. <clears throat> and they could restructure their forward line to the Richmond desk one tall, five smalls. Oh, yeah, five, no. F- you know, Thomas, Elliot, yeah. Dugowie and yeah. Fasolo. Yeah. I think that could break some havoc. Yeah, well, they're four of their... I mean, I've banged on about this the last few weeks. They're, they're most skilled players of the guys that have been out injured. They'll, oh. they'll make them look a more polished So, so you've got those four up forward. Throw in side bottom mm. and one tall. One tall. Yeah. The midfield can definitely be carried by Trelaw, Adams, Pendlebury, Crisp. Yeah. Yeah. And some others. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, no, they're not bad. I, I, not bad. But I think they're sort of a mid-table at best side. Mm. Yeah, the, Hoskin Elliott, he's a good... He's yeah, a no, good. he's been a good pick-up for yeah. them. The, the thing that they looked much better at doing was sort of finding that connection. I know it's a buzzword now, but between the midfield and the forward group. You yeah. know, they actually had sort of space to work in the forwards. Mm. Now, how much is due? how much of that is due to them getting that right or how much was due to the latitude they were being shown by the Blues, who, as much as I admire the Blues' efforts to become a more positive attacking and free-scoring side, boy, it's taken away from their defensive capabilities, hasn't it? Uh, I really... In that first game, and they were brave against Richmond, Mm. I saw the potential for great pain on a weekly basis. Even in that game? I saw the potential for it because they... Oh, they conceded they have, 70 inside 50s. Correct. They, yeah. They've gone from a side... You, you can't... Look, honestly, you can't go from, um, you know, living in an attic to coming out and be, you know, being head of the social committee. You, you've got to slowly adjust to a new brand of football. And they went from a very... Ne- not negative, but a very cautious uh, team in transition to daring do. Mm. <laughs> There's, they're going to come a cropper against any side mm. doing that, bar three or four probably spectacular wins for the year. Now, uh, I think they've been given a lot of latitude by the media. Do yeah. Well, they, they're going to be in another battle for the wooden spoon. I mean, yeah. how long does this team... Well, they've got I, so many top draft picks there. Well, it's, it's year three of a rebuild. The difference... Um, I'd say that they, they were coming from as low a base in terms of the list as any club I can remember since going back to maybe St Kilda of the early 2000s, yep, yeah. you know. So um, 
you know, we look at the Bulldogs and Richmond sort of turning around, but they already had the basis of decent lists. These guys, I mean, there's only a handful of players left on the Carlton list that were there before Bolton became coach. So, you know, it's a lot to ask. Yeah, maybe I'm cutting them a bit too much slack, but I, I, I think they can and will get better. Just quick, very quickly, uh, are they your wooden spooners right now? Uh, they're in. They're in a very serious discussion for it with North Melbourne, Brisbane, and at the moment St Kilda. Well, Brisbane. You mentioned Brisbane. Time now to just oh, just very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Um, I think Carlton's coach Brendan Bolton. He's upbeat and he's. I like him. I think most people do like him. But his grass shoots analogies, etc. They're going to fall f- on deaf ears. Carlton supporters are still demanding. Uh, tick tock, tick tock. This thing could boil over in the next couple of weeks. I reckon Carlton supporters are a lot more patient than they used to be, with the exception perhaps of John Elliott. No one's taken John seriously for about two decades, so it doesn't really matter. Mm. Now, you mentioned Brisbane. Um, I don't know if they're in contention for a wooden spoon because they were arguably the biggest surprise packet of round three, and we're going to encapsulate the other six games now. Almost the upset of a season to date, finally, at Adelaide Oval, where uh, Port just snuck over the line against a very, very, very honourable Lions outfit by five points. For me, they remain in the running for the wooden spoon for the right reasons, because their coach, Chris Fagan, really does invest young players with the responsibility of winning games. As late as halfway through the last quarter at Adelaide Oval against Port. It was still a very young midfield. It was, yeah. you know, they were not deferring to get Mitch Robinson on the ball, get Alan Christensen on the ball. No. You know, and they did it without Beams, a late withdrawal, Dane Beams, no Rich. So there was great merit in their performance. I think for another season, as long as Chris Fagan is not scared of putting the reins in the hands of babies... There might be another year down the bottom, but their progress will come rapidly in the next two or three seasons. Oh, fantastic. I mean, probably the best thing was that they came at... There were probably three times in that game you thought, oh, Port scoots yeah, away now. Yeah, right. And each time they reeled them back in. And, and Alan Christensen gets another six inches on that kick at the end and they, they win. So Yeah, that was amazing. Kicked around oh, the body and... But, by the same token, very smart of Jared Pollock to park in, the wingman to park himself in the defensive goal square. Just... Uh, there were two ex-Brisbane players playing for Port, of course. He was Pollock, one, yeah. And Rockcliffe. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and Rockcliffe, that was his best game for Port. Pollock. Yeah, yeah. No, Port, uh, a flat one for them, but they got the win. That's all they you did. need to they do. Did. All right, next. Football's longest-running hoodoo, Finey. Uh, 17 times the Roos had beaten the Dees on the trot. I really like the Dees won this game. They were below their best, but... Uh, after conceding the first four goals, really seized control of the game, kicked, uh, I think it was 10 goals in a row, um, and ended up, North came in them again a bit, and they steadied again. And that's, I think Melbourne is a more mature side this year. In each of their three games, they were five goals down against the Cats, came back and probably should have won it. They were seven goals up against Brisbane, let that slip. Brisbane got back level, but then they uh, surged again and closed out that game, and I thought they did the same in this. 17 wins in a row, it's back to 2006, um, just a couple of little, I wrote this in my match report, so I'm going with it again. Uh, Neil Danaher was still coach last time, uh, 
Melbourne had beaten North Melbourne. Nathan Jones is the only player remaining in the, on the Melbourne list still playing AFL football of any description. John Howard was still Prime Minister. Uh, social media was in its infancy. And reality television, bless its soul, was still a novelty. That's how long ago it was, Viney. I thought, given that psychological hurdle, it was a pretty decent win. Are you auditioning to be the next Peter Luck? The sort of, <laughs> the sort of uh, Australian documentary maker that takes us through the decades? I'm open to offers. Uh, just very quickly on the game, for Melbourne, the good news for them this season is Fritsch is a really good pickup. Yeah, he's been good. I like Clayton Oliver kicking the ball more. Yep. And Max Gorn has returned to being the best ruckman in the competition. It's a good point about Oliver because he. It, that was the observation, didn't kick enough goals, yeah. got a couple late, admittedly, but... Um, yeah, no, he fought back well from what was a pretty uh, hard tag by um, Ben Jacobs. What isn't quite working for them is their much vaunted backline. Hibbert's a beauty. Lever has not. Uh, it's funny, you take a, a, a young star out of his jumper, put him in another jumper, and you, in the case of Jake Lever, you s- sort of start observing him from the beginning, and it's not as impressive as maybe the hype surrounding him oh, was. I thought he was all right. I, I thought he... Um you know, he's had to play more of a defensive game, I think, and you might, yeah. that might change. But, yeah, yeah. Pig Hibbard, if you're watching Pig, why'd you leave the bombers? All right, let's get on with it. Gold Coast Fremantle, the uh, rather bizarre circumstance of Gold Coast, playing a home game in Perth on the home ground of the side they were playing. For a million dollars. Yeah, well... <laughs> Oh, Austin Powers? Yeah. Um, One minute. Oh, no, it was the little finger to yeah. the whip that was the giveaway. I thought they were pretty solid, the Suns. Um, really stuck with Frio for most of it. You're, by, by dint of some well, inaccurate goal true, kicking. True, You had the feeling the Dockers were always going to prevail, but um, I don't think Gold Coast would be too upset with that effort, would they? No, no, not at all. They've had a good start to the season. Have you? Have, I can't remember a footballer ending a year in mediocrity to return as a, a genuinely very good footballer um, without having a change in his body or change in position. Matt Tabiner left, oh, yeah. he left 2017 mm. as a, a failed key forward. Yeah. He has returned, same frame, same position, as a very good Key forward. Do you think uh, Ross Lyon is allowing them to play a slightly more uh, extravagant game, which is all relative when you're talking about Ross? You know, I watched that game and just before half-time when Gold Coast were coming at them, yeah. they fell back into old habits. Yeah, well, it doesn't... I, I mean, last year around they, this They time, conceded two goals because of their their lack of conv- lack of courage and just an inability to move it. I think they can be their own worst enemy. This time a year ago, they won some games on the back of some enthusiastic kids and immediately I thought, oh, we're going all right, we better revert to type. So that might be the big challenge for them this season. By, right. by the way, a reminder, Michael yep. Waters is a mighty good He's footballer. He's a great player. Great player. All right, uh, your Saints uh, at Etihad Stadium Saturday night. Uh, fair to say, isn't it funny, that the natives are starting to get rather restless? Well, let's be fair. I, I, I'm upset because the season at this point looks lost, and there's disappointment in various, for very for very good very reasons in various um, different positions on the ground. But going into that game, look, Adelaide's a very good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lynch comes back into the side. Walker second game. Yes, no crouches, but uh, Ellis Yolman 
he's a big bodied midfielder. Powerful sort of footballer. Uh, Jacobs was going to be influential against Rowan Marshall, who tried hard. And look, St Kilda lose memory before the game. They start, they start to look very creaky going into that game. To be honest, they don't have that many injuries, but even a couple made them look sus. And the forward line's not working. They're not in the class of Adelaide. So they actually probably tried hard for a half, when you think about it. Yeah. They were within three points uh, 11 minutes into the third quarter. Well, to me, uh, it said a couple of things. Adelaide's depth is really, really good. I mean, as you said, both Crouch is not playing. Their midfield was still completely dominant. And I, and I said Lynch comes back. You know, Richard Douglas came back after a week out. Gee, yeah. he's a good player. He's a good player. Another underrated player, I think. Yeah, very um, underrated. But you're Saints. I mean, look, we, we were saying at the start of last season, we were comparing them, or we, the football world, were comparing them to Melbourne for yeah, that's talent right. and prospects. Yeah, that's right. Geez, that perception's changed, hasn't oh, it? Oh, completely. They've gone too... In two different directions. And the problem with St Kilda is, and I've said this, you can't point the finger at anybody because if you do, that player will come out and have a decent game. So certainly the players under the pump after Jack Steele and Kobe Stevens got omitted, you'd have to say the players next under the pump would have been Jack Nunes and Jack Sinclair. Yeah. They're probably St Kilda's two best players. Yeah. yeah so, which so then you have to look at another two. But whoever you look at, they'll be fine next week. And again... There'll be a rotation of responsibilities that makes it hard to drop players, but necessary. Got to move on. It's not sure. the St Kilda show. Okay, <laughs> you ain't whistling, okay well, now we can do the uh, I'm annoyed with Essendon show. Western Bulldogs, 21-point victors over the Bombers, Sunday afternoon that he had. And you know what I hate most, putting my Essendon supporter hat on? I hate the fact that I can watch them for about 10 minutes and tell you what sort of game you're going to get. And they were just not on the pace. The Dogs were 1-7 to one goal at one stage. Should have been five goals up within about 15 minutes. And it was really, it was only the Bulldogs' largesse in terms of not converting, which enabled Essendon to hang in there. And then even when Essendon did get a, a sniff, um, we had uh, Joe Danaher take that mark. They were, what, 16 points down, have a chance to bring it back under two goals. Joe gives off the handball to Josh Graham. It was just symptomatic of the whole game. Their midfield still not competitive enough, doesn't win enough hard ball, puts their defence under too much pressure. Joe, his second half was better, but I think they're struggling a bit. But I'll tell you what, you've got to get your hands on the footy. Early in the third quarter, they, they were down 100 disposals on the dogs, down 100-plus uncontested possessions. Eighth of the top nine possession getters on the ground were Bulldogs players. That's just, they're not nearly good enough. And I think, uh, I mean, like David King tipped them to win a flag. Several people had them top four. They're not, they're not anywhere near that. Yeah, I, 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 honestly, I didn't have them in the eight. And, yeah, well, it might be a good call. And I'll tell you this, that they played a Bulldogs team that came in with a lot of self-doubt and a lot of issues. Mm. And it, it appeared in dispatches during the game, kicking a goal in just a couple of moments and times when the doggies... We're not that slick doggies of days gone by. But I tell you what, if they were, or if Essendon played a team on the top of their game, Essendon would have lost by 100 points today, no question. They didn't tackle, they didn't run with, and for most part of the game, look, bar three or four players, they were inferior man by man, whoever they played on. 
maybe three of your players stood up for the entire day. Not my players. Not, I've, oh, sorry, I, three. I, I've temporarily disowned them. No, they were ordinary. Okay. Round three finished up in Perth Sunday evening with West Coast taking on Geelong. Now, this was a really, really interesting game, Finey. The Eagles, 32 points up at halftime. The Cats had barely fired a shot. They were 2-7. Cats come out, energised. They hit the front, uh, I think, until the Eagles rallied. Again, it was like one goal two to about eight goals seven. Tom Hawkins started kicking them from everywhere. Corey Gregson bobbed up and kicked a few. And you thought, well, the Cats have woken up. See you later, Eagles. I think we've undersold the Eagles. I think most people have because they were able to find something, kick again, and they ended up winning the game by 15 points. That's two out of three for them and a very, very respectable loss against Sydney. They are a much better team than I think we thought. Have you have you ever watched a game of football? I'm sure you have. And come to some really uh, momentous decisions about clubs during the game that have changed during the game? Because at halftime, I really felt... You know, Geelong, you, you truly are inglorious bastards because you will lose this game against West against the West Coast Eagles, yet you'll return to the GMHBA Stadium, pound teams, and make the eight, even maybe uh, the top four. And then when they uh, got to the front, I thought, no, you know what? Be damned all this home ground advantage. People need to remember the great comeback against West Coast and the win mm. a long way from home to prove that this is a team that is of sterner stuff. So what do you think at the end? Inglorious bastards. <laughs> no, <laughs> no not a terrible effort. What about West Coast? There, everyone thought not yeah. only were they going to be out of the eight, but they'd probably really slide. And, they're they're and, going uh, really well. And Barnett and Nui... Arguably their best player hasn't played this year in Josh Kennedy. Absolutely. No, I think, we're, you know, if you're talking about teams we've undersold, they are bidding for number one on the list, I reckon. Yep. All right, that is all nine games done in the wraparound. Time now for Hot or Not. Rightio, three things we like or dislike at around three. I could give you about 300 today, but I'm going to start with a hot, and his name is Steel Sidebottom. Now, he's finally getting the sort of kudos he deserves. Won the Magpies best and fairest last year. But he is a champion, and I think if you have a look at the totality of his career, he's still very undervalued. But he is so far and away, at the moment, the best player Collingwood has. He's consistent. 35 disposals on Friday night, three goals, and he uses the ball so much better than 99.9% of his teammates. He can go forward and be damaging, as he showed in the win over the Blues. He wins hard balls midfield. He can get outside and create damaging run. And he, I love the way he does it. I love the way he goes about his work. He's just so sort of, I don't know, efficient. There's nothing sort of glamorous or spectacular about him. He just gets the ball, makes the right decision, hits targets, nothing overstated about his demeanour, you know, he's not sort of full of himself, he's not a show pony. And what a fantastic player he's been for him ever since he joined the club. Of course, played in the flag in his first year. Unfortunately, since then, like the club, you know, he's played in a side that hasn't had nearly as much success. But absolute superstar of the competition. And uh, funnily enough, in his what, this will be his ninth season, there are still some people who probably don't appreciate his full value. Well, that undervaluation of Steel Sidebottom landed him at Collingwood. He, I can't remember exactly where he went in the national draft, but it wasn't 
in the top three. Mm. Well, his value got pushed up because he kicked 10 in that under-18 grand final. Well, it should have been pushed up as high as possible. A midfielder who kicked 10 in a grand final, it was sort of considered um, a freak occurrence. But he has continued, as you quite rightly point out, to outlast and outperform the young heroes at Collingwood. And, of course, with Pendlebury is the mainstay of that too. Yeah. Look no, no further. Absolute gun, I reckon. All right, your turn. I'm going to go for a hot as well. Not as well known as Steel Sidebottom, but what a brilliant start to the season by the highly rated, over in the West, full-back, stopping tall defender Alex Pearce. Oh, he's been great. His record reads thus. In the big loss to Port Adelaide, and you would have expected uh, the tall forward Charlie Dixon to have his way on a night like that. He actually kept Dixon to one goal against Essendon. Uh, Danaher, just mm. a single goal. Uh, no, actually no goals, no goals. for Danaher, none, none for Joe. And Tom Lynch, coming off an eight-goal caning of Collingwood, was held to one goal and really, it was a great battle. Tom Lynch still played some effective football. We saw close up in that battle that Alex Pierce, he really is not daunted by or shadowed by any key forward in the game anymore. In other words, if you've got a big forward and you think he's going to win you the game with goals against Freo, you better think again. He does it all too. Like, I mean, uh, even key defenders now are expected to be rebounders as well. Some of them get the balance right. There are those like um, Michael Hurley, who, who is great, but can occasionally be a bit loose in terms of a negating defender. Even Alex Rance occasionally gets sort of pulled up about, you know, is he being defensive enough? But this guy gets it right. And there's a big... are, are you saying he's better than Alex no, Rance? No, I'm not. I'm not. The Battle of the Alexes. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. But there was a beautiful example of when, when to go and when not to go. I mean, he's done his job by keeping those great forwards goalless. But uh, a moment in that Gold Coast game on the weekend where he just picked the right moment... Cut right through the middle, really incisive long ball. Ended up with Michael Walters. They got an important goal out of it. Yeah, yeah. no, he's a gun. He's and, a gun. And helping me in my... I've really been on this quest all my football life to be able to make a great 20, at least, out of Alex's. And he's How's it going? Not bad. I thought I'd stalled after Marku and Russ Kuklik, but yeah. um, obviously Jess, Jess is the captain. Captain coach. No, I sacked him as coach. Who's coach? Um, there's a bloke I know called Alex Seltzer who, who knows his football. But <laughs> well, um, yeah, Alex is a, to the fore. All right, very good. Okay, second one. Mine's a knot uh, going off field here, and it's a bit of a grumpy old man thing. But songs after goals. <laughs> Fan engagement has got hairs all over it, but it's even worse when you come up with cheesy, stupid stunts like that. It's not the baseball. What do we have next? The organ music. Do 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 do. You know, St. Kilda, well, St Kilda, I think, were playing, you know, players' favourite songs after their goals, which meant they had about, what, four or five. Oh, yeah. They, what, what were they playing? Uh, the Impossible Dream? Oh, it's yeah, a miracle? Yeah. I did all those jokes on Twitter. Uh, the Cats apparently do this too. When Danger, uh, Paddy Dangerfield kicks a goal, they play, yeah, you guessed it, Highway to the Danger Zone. Oh, so, that, so it's all playing words. Well, what apparently. happens when Asafa Redigolo kicks a goal? <laughs> well, I, don't, um, I don't know many Asafa Redigolo songs. Uh, what's his background? Papua New Guinean, is it? He's a country boy from Victoria oh, with okay. Ireland background. Anyway, um, it, it's we don't need it. Like there's a sixty second gap between goals. Do they think the attention of the less committed fans is going to waver so much? They go, hmm, 
you know, there's nothing to entertain me after that goal. I better switch channels and watch uh, My Kitchen Rules or something. Give me a break. Well, there's uh, the Bulldogs used to have woof, woof. Oh, yeah. Richmond had the raw meter. They've all which, done which it. Which was fraudulent. Essendon back in the early 2000s, I think, were playing Jennifer, uh, what's her name? Jennifer Lopez. Lo- oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Do, do you remember Richmond's raw meter? Oh, North had one of them too. Yeah, it, it was cockamamie. Yeah. Because there were games like at the end of the game when their supporters, they were getting beaten. Yeah. It's just an ironic fear. <laughs> 98 out of 100. <laughs> well, it'd be like the time Tommy Hafey told Neil Barmer, Barry Richardson to run down the race roaring like tigers and uh, they weren't having any of that and they ran last behind all their teammates and looked at each other and went, roar. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you're up. Okay, I'm going for a not hot and uh, there are a few... Top five, top three, even number one draft picks at the moment struggling in the AFL. And one of them, maybe less publicised than the forwards that are struggling at the moment, is Jacob Wietering of Carlton. Now, last year he was played around with a bit after a really good start to his AFL career. Carlton were looking for some firepower up forward. And it seemed to unsettle the defender. And also it coincided with the arrival of Liam Jones, who became their more preferred option on the number one forward. So Wietering has this unusual role, which he played on Mason Cox on Friday night, of going to the lesser tall forward and is generally ignored as a conduit on the way out of defence. So he doesn't touch the ball much. He doesn't have a huge impression on the game. I'm not saying he's being thrashed by his opponent, but what seemed to be a real a burgeoning great career has really halted is he fully fit? I, I was watching. I don't, I'm not sure. Well, I was watching him Friday night. He, he just—he looks slow and cumbersome. He just—I yep. don't know. I'm just starting to think he's carrying something that we haven't been told about. And you know, you know what dawned on me was that Carlton uh, had Michael Jamison provide some great service for them mm. over a few years. He was a late pick in a rookie draft. Mm. So at one end, you got one of the last guys picked that becomes a very useful key defender, and. The number one draft pick mm. playing no better than a rookie did, mm. and he's been around long enough. It's a, it's a concern. Okay, last one for me. It's a hot, and you may think this is obvious, but Buddy Franklin. I, I'm probably one of those people. Actually, Jake Nile wrote a, a good piece about this in the Age about a week ago, and it's that. When we think about the best players in the competition, we tend to think midfielders. They're the ones that get all the Brownlow votes. But it's really time to reconsider that. This guy, not only is he every chance to see out that nine-year contract at Sydney and still be playing great footy, but he plays like a midfielder, and and Sydney got accused of being a bit uh, overly buddy-conscious. So it was almost like, on cue, they pushed him further up the ground on Saturday night against GWS. He was terrific for it. 22 disposals, 10 marks, 2 goals, and, of course right when they needed it, the game-breaking goal. Another fantastic effort in a tight game, won the ball, did the old don't argue, got rid of his opponent and just bombed it through from 70 metres. And and it's like he's so confident doing that, you'd never back against him to do it. He's done it for so long now. And I almost think he is the best player in the game because... Oh, yeah, I think it's a fair call. Well, he doesn't rack up the touches of, of, of the others. Yeah, but he's... 
impact on a game simply by virtue of the scoreboard. I agree. I yeah. agree. Uh, well, a lot of people wouldn't, don't they? You see those well, how many teams have, How many teams have got a Buddy Franklin? No, it more is, than none. It is the and haven't had for 10 years. It's the absolute difference. And I reckon Sydney have got to the point where if he wasn't playing, yeah. they become fairly vanilla and against better teams, yeah. I don't think they win. They certainly don't win more than they lose. He is... He's the point of difference. He's the one. He's the best in the game. Well, yeah, I, I don't reckon I've seen too many of those top player lists with him at number one. But I, I, after, not that I've just decided this, but Saturday night reaffirmed for me, he is the best player in the game. Yeah, I, I think that's a good hot. Over to you. Um, I'm going for Christian Justice as my final hot. What, uh, who's he played for? Uh, Michael Christian, the, <laughs> the man who is invested with the responsibility of all sort of match review decisions. Yeah. The fact that they're done very quickly now has stopped the the talk. And it was the talk that really created much of the controversy and a lot of the deemed inconsistencies and failings, I think, of the old MRP. Yeah. Quickly dispensed justice, Christian style, is working. There's not a lot of talk behind it. There's no noise. And I think it's going along fine. He's not being fed to the lines in a critical sense? No, and I'd say this. I thought it was risky to have one person do it. I still think you could have two people do it, mm. uh, taking away the single responsibility and need to be ultra-consistent for one person. But he's doing a fine job, and hats off to him, and very much hats off to Steve Hocking for coming up with a system that quickly was implemented and seems to have streamlined been streamlined and efficiently uh, employed because I've got a feeling later on you you might be talking about a system that was not well um, employed by the AFL. I shall. I'm going to be doing that very shortly. But it isn't the best thing about it the fact that we don't waste three days speculating about what sort of penalty for this guy or that. Now it's, it's timely actually because Thomas Bug he's really come a long way since that that. Incredible noise about that. The Sydney one on yeah. a Friday night. Yeah, the, yeah. the belt on, uh, was it? Uh, Callum Mills, Mills? Yeah. yes. Now, now what we need to do is come up with a system where we can solve free agency speculation immediately so we don't have to put up with 12 bloody months of it in uh, both the major newspapers. That is almost my biggest bugbear. All right, there are our hot or nots for this week. You know what time it is, Finey. I've got so much seething anger within me. You having, do. Having watched my team play like absolute oh. rubbish again. How about my team? Well, OK. Let's channel that anger and let's harness it and use it productively in everyone's favourite segment. Come on, join me, Finey. The Rant Off! Right. Are you ready? Because I've been stewing on this all week and I'm ready to unleash. I've got to say, you are the personification of anger, frustration, the perfect ingredients for the perfect rant. I, I'm looking forward to it, albeit okay. scared. Count me in. <laughs> Terrible acting. Three, two, one. I'm pissed off about the score review system, Finey. It's not just broken. It's been smashed into about 500 tiny fragments. It's not dead, but it should be. And I'd like to do the killing and then dance on its grave. That shot from Tom Hawkins back in the 2009 Grand Final, which started all this, is now nearly 10 years ago. We've had a decade to get it right, and it's still not. 
We still haven't got the same standardised system at every venue. We still don't have consistency. We're still seeing mistakes, just different sorts, and more and more we're exceeding the brief of what the system was supposed to be about. That was to judge whether shots had hit posts or been touched before the line. The other week we saw it used to judge whether the Port Adelaide player had taken a mark or not. We see totally inadequate technology still attempting to rule on balls touched 30 metres from the goal line, and we can't even stick to the rules. Isn't evidence about a ball being touched or not supposed to be conclusive to overturn an umpiring decision? That's certainly not what happened at Etihad on Saturday night when the video guy sent a check on about 28 replays of Richard Douglas's shot for Adelaide before coming over the top of the goal umpire. They must have been the only ones who saw a touch, and that's conclusive. Yet at almost exactly the same time up at the SCG, exactly the same situation was resolved simply and quickly. On Sunday at the MCG, an obvious decision in which the ball had come off defender Jack Gunston somehow momentarily became a goal to Richmond's Jason Castagna. The video guys getting their ends mixed up. It's not good enough. It really isn't good enough. And when this much-vaunted competition committee get down to business, this should be the number one item on their agenda. You know, I liked it. I liked it a lot. But I've just got to check with the um, the third umpire. <laughs> Did I like it? Another angle? Uh, DRS is... Yeah, I liked it. You, I sure, you sure you got the ends right? You sure you got the ends right there? It's a legal delivery. Yes, I liked it. Okay. Comedy capers. I liked MCG. it a lot. All right. Okay. I've got a feeling yours is going to be just as good because I know you've been stewing on yours too. I'm going to count you in slightly less theatrically. Three, two, one, rant! I can barely do this, honestly. When I was young, I used to go to the beach and with my family and build sandcastles and try and protect them so they'd be there the next day. I'd build moats around them and reinforce them with shells and other bits and bobs. And my father would tell me, the tide will come and wash it away and it'll just return to being a plain old beach. I should have learnt the lesson because the tide has come in again for St Kilda and once again, they have returned to just being a plain old ordinary football team. Nothing seems to be more of a constant in AFL football than St Kilda returning to mediocrity. St Kilda are once again shit. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. What's he talking about? They've always been shit. But to deluded St Kilda fans, and that makes up about 98% of us, we've touched greatness, we've had moments, we've had highs, lows. There are expectations. You don't know what it's like to be one of us. We live in a vacuum. We actually believe that... Somehow, some way, we will turn fate on its head. We will stop the tide coming in and our sandcastles of dreams of glory will be there tomorrow. But they're not. You know, Rowan, I've always been scared that I won't live long enough to see a St Kilda flag. After three games this season, I don't think mankind will be around long enough to see St Kilda's next flag. In fact, when St Kilda does win their second premiership, I reckon the CEO of the AFL will be Dr Zayas. Bruce McAvaney's replacement will be a chimpanzee called Cornelius. And the term big gorilla will no longer be politically incorrect because, in fact, Ford Lines will be full of big gorillas. Yes, St Kilda, once again, return to just plain old no good bastards.
I feel your pain, and I, I love the I love the beach analogy, and I love the Planet of the Apes gratuitous Planet of the Apes. I think Dr. Zayas would make a good CEO of the AFL. That was the woman, wasn't it? No, no, that was the. Um, what was the? Oh, she was the woman Cornelius. No, Who no, was the no. Woman? Uh, she was Zira. Zira. Uh, he was the um, orange-clad orangutan from the High Council. So you know how in the final scene of Planet of the Apes, he sees the head of the Statue of Liberty sticking out of his Damn you all to hell! So in your case, it'd be the Moorabbin Social Club. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> the wreckage. It was Earth all along, oh. so it was Moorabbin. Anyhow, I won't be around for that. Can we change clubs? I, you know, I started life as an Essendon supporter. Oh, no, you're not supposed to say that. No, well, I started life as an Essendon supporter. I will leave this mortal coil as an Essendon supporter, and that sentences me to an enormous amount of pain. Not quite as much as you've endured, hmm. but, you know, I figure, look, we're both angst-torn, we're both in our 50s, a couple more decades of pain. Well, what's that? An ulcer. All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, not a totally upbeat into our round three show, but hope you enjoyed it. Uh, plenty more where these came from. We'll be back next Sunday evening to wrap up a big round four. Any final thoughts? Doesn't matter how hot it is outside. When you go watch St Kilda play, there's not much hot footy being played, but don't curse the weather because in June, we'll wish it was that warm. I think there's something in that for all of us. We'll see you next week.